It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It's a new episode with the Murder Bucket Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. As you've seen, this is episode 100. It is a huge milestone, and I can't be more excited to share it with you. Throughout this entire podcast journey, we have gained so many friends and listeners each and every week. We have gone through a cold case road trip. We did a short cult mini series. Then we did a very small food series. We started the true crime news corner on the very first episode of each month. Then we alternate between a full-length episode to a mini-episode, and now we are on the Last Supper series. I just want to say thank you for joining me for the last 100 episodes, and I hope you will join me for the next 100. Let's go ahead and do a very short week-slash-weekend recap before we get into tonight's episode. The only interesting thing that I can think of that I did from the last time we talked was we went to a couple of record stores with some friends of ours about 45 minutes away and picked up a lot of records. I think I've mentioned before that we typically go through the $1 to $5 bins because we can usually find what we like. We do occasionally pick up like full-priced records or some that are just on like a $25 to 45% off sale, but nothing too crazy expensive. The only other thing was my dad was in town last week, which is always fun. My daughter absolutely loves him and he loves her and we love just hanging out and eating food, playing games, and just talking about old times. And now we are going to get into our second episode of the Last Supper series, And we will be talking about Joseph Arity. We don't have a lot of information regarding Joseph's life prior to the crimes that landed him on death row. This is all we know. Joseph Arity was born on April 29, 1915 in Pueblo, Colorado. His parents, Henry and Mary, were immigrants from Syria. Neither spoke English. Joseph's dad, found a job at a steel mill. After attending elementary school for just one year, the school contacted Joseph's parents and told them to keep him home because they believed he could not learn. Joseph's father lost his job several years later for unknown reasons. At the age of 10, Joseph was admitted to the state home of training school for mental defects in Grand Junction, Colorado. The State Home and Training School for Mental Defects opened in 1912 and by 1936 had over 260 patients in their care. 
it is mentioned in an article on KEKBFM.com that many people who were sent there were perfectly normal, healthy children whose families claimed they could not deal with them anymore. Over the years, the facility fell into disrepair and the U.S. government stepped in to help. Several areas of the home were closed due to foundation issues, but many of those issues weren't building-related, rather staff-related. Many staff members were arrested and jailed for various crimes, including abusing their residents. It stated in this article that residents at the facility were routinely sterilized in the 1940s. As years passed, fewer and fewer staff stayed employed there and barely any new staff came in. This meant that many residents were left without care. When the facility eventually closed in the 1990s, any residents that were left were sent elsewhere. By the age of 21, Joseph was hopping on freight rail cars and ended up in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And now we're going to discuss the crime that landed Joseph on death row. 15-year-old Dorothy Drain and 12-year-old Barbara Drain were asleep in their beds on the night of August 14, 1936 in Pueblo, Colorado. At some point in the night, an intruder came into their room and bludgeoned both girls with a hatchet. Dorothy died from her wounds and Barbara lived. It is believed that Dorothy was raped. Newspapers in the area claimed that a sex-crazed murderer was on the loose. They stated that the man was Hispanic based on the description given to them by two women who claimed to have also been attacked. The town desperately wanted the police to find the man who did this. On August 26, 1936, Joseph was arrested for vagrancy in Cheyenne, Wyoming. According to MiriamWebster.com, vagrant is defined as a person who has no established residence and wanders idly from place to place without lawful or visible means of support. When Joseph was questioned by the county sheriff, George Carroll, he revealed to them that he had traveled through Pueblo by train. That's when Sheriff Carroll began to question him about the Drain murder. According to him, he confessed to killing Dorothy. Sheriff Carroll contacted Pueblo Police Chief Arthur Grady regarding this confession. Chief Grady told him that they already arrested someone who was considered their prime suspect, Frank Aguilar. He had been a laborer that worked with the Drain girl's father and was fired shortly before the attack. They also stated that they found an axe head at Frank's home. Sheriff Carroll stated that Joseph confessed to being with a man named Frank at the crime scene. Frank later confessed to the crime and told Pueblo police that he had never met Joseph. He was convicted of the rape and murder of Dorothy Drain and executed in 1937. You would think that after Frank told the police that he didn't know Joseph as well as being convicted and executed for the crime, that the sheriff's office would let Joseph go, right? Wrong. Sheriff Carroll continued to claim that Joseph confessed several more times to the murder. He was later transferred to Pueblo where a trial took place. Joseph's lawyer pleaded insanity to attempt to save his client's life but he was ruled as being sane even though three state psychiatrists 
told the court that he was mentally limited and classified as an imbecile. Now, don't yell at me for that term as it was used during that time period. Okay, moving on. All three psychiatrists stated that Joseph's IQ was around 45 and that he had the mindset of a six-year-old. They noted that he was incapable of knowing right from wrong. Even with this information, the court convicted him. They stated that it was largely based on his confession, even though there was no physical evidence against him. And Barbara Drain testified that Frank was in her room at the time of the attack and had never seen Joseph. Once Joseph was convicted and sentenced to death, attorney Gail Ireland became highly involved in his case to try and help overturn his conviction. She was able to win a total of nine stays of execution. Unfortunately, she was never able to overturn his conviction. During the three years that Joseph spent on death row, it is stated that he loved to play with toy trains that were given to him by prison warden Roy Best. Warden Best stated in several articles that Joseph was the happiest prisoner on death row, and he cared for Joseph as if he was his own son, often bringing him gifts. Everyone liked him, and he was treated very well by other prisoners and guards. Warden Best tried to assist Attorney Ireland with getting his conviction overturned, but no one was able to make that happen. So what was Joseph's Last Supper request? In several articles, it states that he just asked for ice cream, not knowing exactly what specific flavor that he wanted. In the book that this series is based on, they do have a recipe for plain vanilla ice cream. And you know, ice cream can be super versatile. You can get pretty much any flavor you can think of. There are so many toppings that can go on ice cream. If we are specifically just talking about vanilla ice cream like the book does, then my absolute favorite topping on vanilla ice cream is going to be almost any fruit. I love strawberries, bananas, raspberries, and blueberries. And then you absolutely have to have some sort of chocolate syrup. If we're going to steer away from the vanilla ice cream, I tend to go toward more like the peanut butter and chocolate side. So I love moose tracks, anything that has peanut butter or caramel in it. Rocky Road has to be one of my all-time favorites, and I absolutely love butter pecan. Tell me what type of ice cream and toppings you would ask for if that's what you were offered as your last supper. Before being taken away, Joseph requested that the remaining ice cream that he was not able to eat be put in the freezer so that he could finish it later. Joseph Arity was escorted to the gas chamber on January 6, 1939. It's reported that Joseph had a smile on his face during the walk because he didn't understand what was about to happen. Members of the victim's family did not attend the execution. Warden Best pleaded with Teller Amons, the governor of Colorado at the time, to commute Joseph's sentence before the execution, but he refused. It's reported that Warden Best cried during Joseph's execution. 
In 2007, a group of supporters formed a nonprofit organization called Friends of Joe Arity. This was created to bring new recognition to the injustice in his case, as well as the commissioning of a headstone for his grave. Over 50 supporters gathered for a dedication ceremony at his grave at Green Cemetery near the state prison. In 2011, Attorney David Martinez prepared a 400-page petition for pardon from Governor Bill Ritter. He gave him a full and unconditional pardon, saying, Pardoning Joe Arity cannot undo this tragic event in Colorado history. It is in the interest of justice and simple decency, however, to restore his good name. And that is the case and Last Supper of Joseph Arity. And now we are going to move on to... True crime. True 22-year-old Karis Rebel was killed by 27-year-old Bethel Beckel while working at a Dollar Tree in Upper Sandusky, Ohio, on January 2nd. It was determined that Bethel entered the store with a machete and struck Karis multiple times. Officers found the weapon at the scene. Bethel had left the store before officers arrived, but was later found and arrested. A motive is unclear. Skeletal remains were found in a remote desert area of Buckeye, Arizona. Many people speculated that they might belong to Daniel Robinson, a young geologist who disappeared in the area back in 2021. Police later identified the remains as belonging to 35-year-old Juan Fierro. On Tuesday, January 10th, the family of Mallory Beach reached a settlement with two members of the Murdaugh family. In 2019, Mallory was killed in a crash on board a boat that belonged to the Murdaugh family. A judge in Clark County, Nevada, sentenced former Playboy model Kelsey Turner to 10 to 25 years in prison for her role in the 2019 killing of psychiatrist Dr. Thomas Burchard. Kelsey and her then-boyfriend, John Kennison, beat Dr. Burchard to death in their home and hid his body in the trunk of Kelsey's car. John pleaded guilty in July of 2022 and was sentenced to 18 to 45 years in prison. Brian Walsh was charged with the murder of his wife, Anna Walsh. Prosecutors state that rather than getting a divorce, it is believed that he dismembered Anna and discarded her body. On January 4th, he reported her missing. He was then arrested on January 8th for misleading the authorities in the investigation. The day after he reported her missing, he bought several hundred dollars of cleaning supplies. Police also found bloody weapons near their home. He has since pleaded not guilty to the charges of lying to police. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan declared John Norman Huffington, a Hartford County man who was wrongfully convicted in an infamous 1981 double murder, innocent. Governor Hogan, a Republican with days left in his second term, citing prosecutorial misconduct on the part of disgraced former Hartford County State's Attorney Joseph Cassily in finding that Huffington's convictions were in error and granted a full innocence pardon, an order that amounts to exoneration. Paramedics Peter Cadigan and Peggy Finley 
are accused of killing a patient in December, pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder charges. On December 18th, they were responding to a call just after 2 a.m. for assistance with a man who was suffering from hallucinations due to alcohol withdrawal. In body cam footage from an officer who was present during the call, they can be heard yelling at the man to sit up and quit acting stupid. They then strapped the man onto the stretcher lying face down. He slowly suffocated to death. A baby and five other people were found dead inside their home in Goshen, California. Police are describing this as a horrific massacre. They are still looking for at least two suspects. Scott Collins robbed and shot Fred Rose in 1992. His death sentence was vacated earlier last year and he was removed from death row in San Quentin State Prison and transferred to the California Correctional Institute in September. He died on January 15th. Verity Beck has been charged with first-degree and third-degree murder in the January killings of her 73-year-old father and 72-year-old mother. When officers arrived at their home on January 17th, after their son called in a wellness check, it was discovered that one of them was tightly wrapped in a white bedsheet, dead, and another was found dead in another area of the home. Both victims had been dismembered with a chainsaw. It was later determined that they were killed by a gunshot wound. Verity was arrested immediately. The U.S. Marshal Service is involved in the search for Kevin Watson, the ex-husband of missing Tennessee mom of three, Brittany Watson, who is believed dead. In a tweet posted on January 19th, it states this, The USMS is offering a $5,000 reward for the arrest of Kevin Watson. He is wanted for first-degree murder. The victim, Brittany Watson, went missing on January 7th. Kevin Watson is possibly on foot in the rural area of Haywood County. He should be considered armed and dangerous. The couple divorced four years ago and attempted to get back together, but were experiencing some domestic issues. 72-year-old Hu Can Tran opened fire inside Star Ballroom Dance Studio in Monterey Park, California, killing 10 people and wounding 10 others. 20 minutes later, he walked into Lele Ballroom and Studio near El Hambra with the intent of killing more people. Two members were able to disarm him and take possession of his weapon. He fled the scene only to be killed by a self-inflicted gunshot wound in a strip mall parking lot. Seven people were killed and one person was critically injured at two mushroom farms in California after 67-year-old Chu Lin Zhao opened fire. He was arrested and taken into custody. Officers found a weapon in his vehicle and believe that he acted alone. 18-year-old Mario Navarro opened fire at a Valero gas station in Oakland, California, where a music video was being filmed. One person was killed and four others were injured in what police are calling a targeted attack. Chance Seneca, 21, of Lafayette, Louisiana, was sentenced to 45 years in federal prison for kidnapping and attempting to murder a gay man as part of a months-long scheme to kidnap and murder gay men. 
A man in a ski mask threw a Molotov cocktail at a synagogue in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Just after 3 a.m., surveillance footage shows the suspect lighting the cocktail, hurling it at the building's entrance, and then running away. It was later determined that the mystery man was 26-year-old Nicholas Malandredos. Darmesh Patel was charged with attempted murder and child abuse after prosecutors accused him of intentionally plummeting off the cliff with his wife and children. According to the complaint, the charges include enhancements for domestic violence and inflicting great bodily injury. Patel's Tesla plunged from the section of Pacific Coast Highway known as the Devil's Slide, notorious for being the site of fatal car accidents. After the crash, the family was trapped inside and presumed dead until firefighters spotted someone moving inside. A dramatic rescue effort was then launched. Eleven people were injured in a drive-by shooting in Lakeland, Florida, in an attack that police believe was targeted. Police were called to the scene and found multiple victims. Cell phone and ring footage obtained by police show a dark blue four-door Nissan pulling up to the scene and slowing down before the windows rolled down. According to police, there were four people inside the car, at least two of whom fired weapons. And lastly, police arrested 71-year-old Collier Gwynn and charged him with the misdemeanor battery after he was caught on video spraying a homeless woman with a water hose while she sat on a sidewalk. San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins stated that the alleged battery of an unhoused member of the community is completely unacceptable and Mr. Gwynn will face appropriate consequences for his actions. And that concludes tonight's episode. Before you go, please take a moment to listen to this promo from my friends at the American Slacker Podcast. Hey, this is Matt. And Jesse. We host American Slacker Podcast, your weekly rundown for weird news, entertainment suggestions, and unique games. Every other week, we bring on guests from all walks of life, like comedian Mark Forward of Letterkenny. Yeah, we just call it tuna up here. We, we, we're pretty clear that it's a fish. And NYC stand-up powerhouse Ian Fidance. I want to fucking punch you in the fucking face with positivity and fun, motherfucker. Actor Brandon Crane of Stephen King's It. There's a lot of the work that I did, like Wonder Years to It, they were all very, you know, period, 50s, 60s, and, you know, chunks were all the rage. And Arthur Clown from Terrifier, David Howard Thornton. They also had to make a mold of my face while I was there, so that was kind of claustrophobic in itself. Musician Dan Simons of Just Surrender. First time ever going out on a tour, you remember every stop. And Nick Thompson of Hit the Lights. All, all the stuff that I think that people go through through life, and it's just, like, my outlet for that. Watch the video version of American Slacker on our YouTube channel and listen to our show on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit our website aspodcast.com for everything American Slacker. That's it. There you go. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.